awesome, but we are so happy to have you guys back. I'm super excited for this year, namely because we're having a baby in max two weeks. So I am so stoked. Um, a couple of community updates. Chris and Meryl are still in Bali, so don't feel bad for them at all. But the pictures look amazing. Beautiful villa, pool. I think they're on some island right now. Um, Stu is <laughs> flying first class to Tahiti to be on a private island all week doing private island things. And it was at this moment that I realized I'm in the wrong profession. Um, I actually see Ish here, and so I feel like you should be there with him. We, we should talk to your boss and ask why you didn't get to go on that work trip. Anyhow, those are a couple. Oh, one more thing. Regrets from Kat and Cossum. They were having a baby last night. So, yes. It was, you will have to ask her the story. I think she was in labor for like over 24 hours. But it went smooth. He's healthy. Matthias, that's his, Matthias, Matthias. And, um... Six, seven pounds and something ounces, 19 and a half inches long, and alive and breathing. Anyhow, okay, turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. That's where we're going to start tonight. Um, we are starting a new little four-week series in the new year. We don't have a name for it, to be honest, but this is really the idea behind it. You see it on the screen, but the last three months... We were in a series called An Invitation to the Spiritual Disciplines. And really the heart behind that was, you know, there are these disciplines, these practices of our life um, that help us yield our daily decisions, our daily habits, our daily practices to God through disciplines like prayer, silence and solitude, fasting, and many more. But really the long-term journey of these disciplines is a journey of holiness, that the more time we spend yielding ourselves to God, the more time we spend just giving ourselves to his presence, he shapes us and he forms us into a people like him. And he exposes those areas of unholiness in our life and then he rebuilds us as a new and holy people. And so really the journey of holiness itself, it's it's deeper and longer than just the journey of the discipline. The discipline is like the open doorway, the invitation into the journey of holiness. And so for the first month of the year, we're having this unnamed series. I can't call it an invitation or a journey or exploration of anything because that's so overused. But we're going to explore the deeper journey of holiness together. And uh, the first week tonight... I'm going to preach on conviction and correction. Next week, Chris is going to take us into confession, the lost art of the Western church, confession. And we'll practice it together. And then uh, Dana will take us into consecration on the 22nd, and then we will land the series on week four in, this, uh, in the life of communion, a life with God and union with him. So that's where we're headed, all right? But tonight... I get to open us in this little mini-series. And the reality is, is that all of us carry unholiness in us, right? All of us are in a battle against Satan, against the dark forces of this world. And all of us 
have areas of our lives. I will tell you some stories tonight. Areas of our lives that we just have not yielded to the Lord. We've taken control for it. We've held on to it. But God, in his very deep kindness and deep love for us, offers us a better way, a new way. And so that's where we're heading over the next six weeks, all right? Four weeks, sorry. What I'm saying six for is Isaiah 6. Let's read it together. We're gonna start in Isaiah 6. I love this story. It's a journey of a man going on a very similar journey. So we're just gonna read the first nine verses together. I'm reading out of the CSB. It's on the screen. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and the, temp- and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. They had six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. And one called to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorway shook and the sound of their voices and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, woe is me, for I am a ruined man because I am a man of unclean lips and I live amongst a people of unclean lips and because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one seraphim flew to me and his hand was uh, and in his hand was a glowing coal that had been taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it. And he said, now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed. Your sin is atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, who should I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here I am, send me. And the Lord replied, go. And there's more to it that we won't read. I had a line problem growing up. I told you I'd tell you some stories tonight. I had a for real line problem growing up. I really wanted people to like me. I didn't want to be bad at anything. I wanted everyone to think I was good at everything. I wanted respect. You get the point. But I have four stories tonight. I'm not proud of them, but they'll help you kind of understand the journey of what we're speaking about in my life tonight. I remember when I was in fourth or fifth grade, my babysitter was over one night, and uh, I played him Jesus Freak by DC Talk. Anyone remember that? Oh yeah, baby. And I told him that it was actually my band that had recorded that song. And we just found a button that made our voices sound different, but it was actually my band. I can't imagine he was fooled. Um, True story, number two. In seventh grade, I was catfished online. I think that's what it's called. Yeah, catfish. And um, I'm guessing you want to hear the story. I was on MySpace, and this beautiful girl, uh, she sent me a friend request, and her default pick was enough to tell me we could build a beautiful life in southern Indiana together. And the more I got to talking to her, the more I realized I was batting way out of my league with this girl. She was unbelievable. The only problem was she was a freshman in high school and I was a seventh grader. And I knew that if she knew that I was in seventh grade, I had no shot with her. I don't know how I was gonna tell her later, but we'd figure that one out. And uh, so I, of course, told her I was a freshman in high school and I made up all these amazing stories about me. I sounded like a really great guy. 
well. Turns out it was actually a fellow classmate in my seventh grade science class. <laughs> and <laughs> I was so caught. <laughs> I looked like an idiot, honestly. <laughs> Um, I then put her in my top eight. I was so into her. All right, two more. My junior and senior year of high school, my memory's a little cloudy. Um, I was teaching my friend Parker to drift his car in the church parking lot where all the good stuff that church rats do. And uh, I had a pretty cool sports car. I had a Volkswagen GTI. And uh, the, the thing about it is, though, is it's front-wheel drive. And so to drift, you need a rear-wheel drive car. So the only way you can really get that thing sideways around turn is to rip the e-brake. Well, I ripped the e-brake. I ripped it hard across that glowy, beautifully just rained on asphalt and I sent us straight into the curb. And when we hit it, I took my, I don't know, is this 90 degrees? I took my wheels in 45 degrees. So they were like completely in this way. So rather than just admitting that mom, stepdad, sorry, I had made a bad decision and I drifted my car across the church parking lot, will you come pick me up? We called the one guy who we knew would help us bury a dead body. And we, uh, us three, rolled our, my car across a highway. And then we staged a whole new accident on the other side <laughs> that looked like it couldn't be my fault. Um, my parents did not buy it for a second. I was so caught. Funny story, this week Haley reminded me, <laughs> I've done that twice in my life. <laughs> Later that year, I, I crashed a rental car in Denver and <laughs> we didn't get a police report, so I had to go restage the accident. Anyhow, silly, silly, silly. I really did have a problem. And none of this magically went away when I moved to Southern California, to Vanguard, to study pastoral leadership, to teach people how to walk in the way of Jesus, it didn't. Um, my friends had a term for me and for others called Tylerine a situation, and it's where I could just take anything inappropriate to the next level. And my sophomore year, I actually got an award at the end of the year for some really stupid Tylerine moments that I did. But I was also a worship leader at a church and on campus. And when I was worshiping, I was zealous for the Lord. I, I was a passionate worship leader. I was sold out, at least when I was on stage, because what do you do when everyone's looking? And where Adam and Eve, you know, they sewed fig leaves to cover their shame and nakedness. My fig leaves came more in the form of wide-brimmed hats and ripped jeans, cool guitars. I was hiding in plain sight. I was so, so hungry for the praise of man that I just became comfortable using God and his church as my facade. So, what's changed? Or has anything changed? And I don't know that I should be the only one to answer that question, but what I can tell you is this. God has authentically kept me on a prolonged journey through conviction and correction. It is not sexy. And it hurts a lot. And I've done more repenting in these last few years than I've done in my entire life, most definitely. But it's good. 
It's a very, very, very good journey. Is there any tea in here? Thanks, baby. I can hear my mouth. It's so thirsty. Some weird ASMR. <clears throat> okay, but before we go any further, I just want to call out the elephant in the room, all right? This is a thought that some of you are probably thinking or have thought in the past. And it's the reality that holiness doesn't actually sound all that compelling. Really what it sounds like is church hypocrisy. We've seen a lot of that. Maybe purity culture that's damaged a lot of us. And you just have the thought, will life just get, is a holy life just a boring life? Does it take the fun and the color and the sense of humor and adventure out of life? Will everyone just think I'm a prude? Will my boyfriend or girlfriend think I'm crazy? Would I actually lose friend groups and feel isolated and lonely and become embittered towards God because of it? And then the biggie, the biggie. Will I die before I get to have sex? It's for real. I just wanna tell you guys, I've experimented with drugs. I lost my virginity at 16 years old. I played girls hard through my early years of college. And it is not the good life. It is not the good life. It leaves us all feeling empty, wanting, selfish, knowing there is more. And I really do believe, Genesis, I'm so excited for this journey because I do believe with all of my heart that holiness is the radiant color to our dull lives. If, if, if I asked you to tell me like what you love and respect about the people you love and respect the most, you'd probably tell me the holy traits about them, right? Their, their love for others, their selflessness, their generosity, their patience, their kindness. How they're not, you know, they, they're, they, don't, they can laugh at themselves because they don't think the whole world revolves around them. And there was a moment in my like early mid-20s where I had to reckon with a truth. And so I just want to ask you guys the same question tonight. And I actually have a slide for it so you can just remember it. Are you interested in God or are you committed to him? Are you interested in God or are you committed to him? I honestly had to face, I mean, I remember getting called being late to worship rehearsal because I was out partying the night before and I slept through my alarm. I had to face, do I just like the idea of Jesus, what he can offer me, I'm down to sing some songs in church, get together on a Sunday, or would I be willing to utterly crucify my old self, my old ways of living with him and allow him to raise to life a new Tyler, a new way of living, a new person who is completely and devoted to him? Genesis, will you or I spend our whole life chasing images and when we can't keep up with those images, will we just spiral through patterns of shame and guilt that we can't hold up? Or by the love and the grace of God, will you allow him, even tonight, the Holy Spirit is with us to convict you and to correct you, to point out the areas of your life that you've handed over to the enemy 
And then just allow him just to set you on a new path to be a woman or a man after his own heart, a woman or a man of his kingdom. This was a paradigm shift that I felt the Lord give me a number of years ago, but it's a lifelong journey, 100%. I do not stand up here enlightened. <laughs> I just stand down here, for, here further down the road than I was. And I, still, I totally still agree with Paul and Romans. Like the things I want to do, I just can't seem to do them. And the things, the evil things I know I shouldn't do, I still blow it sometimes. But I'm on a journey that I want to invite you guys with me and us as a leadership of this church want to invite you on as a church together. And so I'm just asking you tonight to consider joining this journey by one, just becoming aware of the Holy Spirit in our presence. As I preach the rest of this night, I'm not just talking information or facts. Like I wanna partner with the Holy Spirit that he would speak to a part of your life. And as he does, would you just be open and willing to let him come and point out those areas in your life that he just wants to, in love and kindness, remove and then replace and build a new foundation of a new man or woman on them. That's the invitation over these next four weeks. And so I'm gonna start it. So tonight, correction and con conviction and correction. Next week, confession, consecration, and then communion. That's where we're heading, all right? Where's this water? Gosh. Okay. Well, I, uh, I, I chose to kind of combine conviction and correction together because really it seems to me that they, they, they always are paired together. That God doesn't just expose the dirt and stuff in our lives and then just leave us there. But he actually picks us up, cleans us off, and then sets us on a new path. That's correction. He gives us a new way, a new path. And so those are the two we're going to explore tonight. You with me? You there? Okay. Sorry. I feel like I'm talking a lot. I'm trying to stop doing that so much. Um, I, I chose to start in Isaiah 6. And the reason why is because this is just a beautiful, um, it's a, it, I mean, uh, come on, it reeks of like cross imagery. It's beautiful. But it's a man who uh, is, sees the glory of God and then realizes I need to go on a deeper, holier journey. And so he sees the holiness of God fill the temple and then he realizes, I've been seen wrong this whole time. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips amongst a people of unclean lips and it's not okay. And Isaiah shows us that when we glimpse the holiness, the true holiness of God, we become utterly aware and convicted of anything that's not holy in ourselves, and the world around us. It's like going your whole life thinking beige is white, you know? And then you see white for the first time and it's so much brighter, so much more brilliant than you could have imagined. C.S. Lewis reflects on this kind of conviction in his sci-fi trilogy. And uh, long story short, and it's, it really does unravel a lot, but there's these superhuman beings called the Eldila, I think that's how you pronounce it. And they are basically like angels, kind of. They're like these guardians of goodness, right? And um, they see the silent planet Earth and they realize, oh, well, they can tell. It's, it is destructive, it's evil, and we're gonna go do something about it. And so the main character, Ransom, he sees them 
he catches a glimpse of them and he says they were like these vertical pillars that spun faster and were brighter than anything he had ever seen before. That only, they just looked slightly off vertical. Like they were maybe 10 degrees off of vertical. And then it kind of dawns on him, he realizes they aren't off vertical. I'm off vertical. Like the whole world itself is about 10 degrees off kelter. And really what C.S. Lewis is pointing to here is that true holiness, true goodness is true vertical. But I never knew true holiness until I saw it. I never knew vertical until I saw it. And that's the reality of the world that you and I live in. Like Isaiah, the sin of this world should stun us. It should, but it doesn't. In fact, it's really just become our version of vertical. It's become what we see as normal and what we're used to. And so we just continue on as if everything's okay. That's why God sent the prophets. And it's even become culturally appalling to believe that there is a true vertical whatsoever. That what's good for you is not good for me. What's true for you isn't true for me. But friends, when we see the holiness of God at work, just like Isaiah, it makes everything unholy look like a stain in comparison. But there's good news. That just like the, the, um, the seraphim who brought the coal to purify Isaiah, God can get rid of that stain. He can cleanse that stain. And so the seraphim, they, 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 with the tongs, they bring the coal and they touch Isaiah's lips. And in essence, God's saying, you know, you're right, Isaiah. It's not okay. This unholiness isn't the way I designed you or the world around you. But I can change it. I absolutely can redeem that unholiness. And then, you know, that's, that's really the whole idea. He's, he's burning with the coal. He's burning away the unholiness, the impurity in Isaiah. And then God says to him, so who am I going to send? Now that you've been clean, I, like someone needs to go tell this same message. And Isaiah says, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Send me. I want to go. And friends, I love this because rather than running from God and Isaiah in his shame, the conviction of God leads Isaiah toward him. Here's the big piece. That was kind of uneloquent. But what I'm trying to say is shame drives you away from God. It causes us to hide and put our fig leaves back on. Like, God, I just, I need a moment to clean myself back up, to get ready for you. Conviction drives you toward God. It says, God, I've messed up, but where else would I go? Who else would I go to other than you, Lord? Can you clean me? And yes, he is faithful to embrace you and forgive you and set you on a new path. And then like Isaiah, the purpose of conviction, it's not just for self-righteousness. It's not just so I can be a good people. We don't need more Pharisees per se. But you and me in this room, I was thinking today, like baby C is a part of God's redemption plan for the whole world. That God actually wants to partner with you, Brady. So many new people here. (laughs) Troy, I know you, man. (laughs) 
He actually wants to partner with you. He has called you to go and to shine the same bright light that you've seen and that's cleansed you on the rest of the world. And, he, and so he convicts you and says, I want you to do that with me too, but we gotta take care of some stuff. And he does this because he is a loving and a kind God. Please hear me on this. And you know I have a slide for it. Conviction always flows from God's love and kindness. His conviction and his correction always flow from his love and kindness. Paul says in Romans 2, he says, he's like questioning the church. Do you despise the riches of his kindness or restraint and patience? Not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. God convicting us, please hear me, is not him holding up his backhand saying, you better repent on the count of three or else. It's him saying, daughter, son, I love you. I love you and the way you're living right now, it's crippling you and it will continue to cripple you. You're creating a path of destruction before you, behind you, and I don't want that for you. But I can take you down the path of freedom, so come with me. And in John 16, when Jesus is explaining the role of the Holy Spirit in the world, he says this. We'll start in verse seven. It'll be on the screen. He says, nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It's for your benefit that I go away because if I don't go away, the counselor won't come to you. If I go, I'll send him to you. There's a theologian who has a book that says the spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. It's quite a scandalous thought to think it is actually better that Jesus would leave, that the Holy Spirit would come be with us. And then he says this of the spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because they don't believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father and you'll no longer see me. In essence, when I'm not with you anymore, the Spirit will teach you righteousness. He'll lead you to righteousness. And about judgment, because the ruler of the world, the Satan, has been judged. Friends, God's conviction of the world is a good thing. That's a gnarly word when I think about it, but it's a good thing. You don't need to be a father or mother in the room to know if you saw a kid playing right next to a fire, you wouldn't just hope he learns his lesson once he falls in the fire, right? You'd, you'd want to say, hey, no, 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 that's, don't play right there. That's gonna get bad for you. And God loves you so much that he would be willing to say to you, hey, the way you're living right now, it's not okay. You don't see how it's gonna affect you right now, but I do. And it's not only gonna hurt you, but it's gonna hurt many people around you. The effects are gonna be like falling into that fire. I mean, have any of you guys, I was thinking about this this week, just ever had a friend, or maybe you've had to be that friend, who just had to lovingly, very lovingly, call you out on something? Like, hey, when you can't handle alcohol, you say really hurtful things to people who love you a lot. Or like, hey, I see you spiral down these, these patterns of anxiety, and I just want to remind you, the Lord's got you. Whatever you think's coming, he's got it. Maybe some of you have been told or needed to tell somebody since you've been in that relationship, you just haven't been your healthiest self. 
Or, hey, you asked me to hold you accountable to this, and I'm just not seeing evidence in your life right now. And I know you want it. You told me you want it, and so I just want to be a good friend to you and tell you, hey, I, I want to continue to see you walk down that path. How can I help? That's how the Lord convicts us. It is his kindness. It's out of complete love and kindness for us that he says, I want to help you see that the way you're living right now, those areas aren't okay, but there's a better way. And so I want to bring correction into the conversation now. And I think there is just this beautiful connection that conviction is always partnered with correction, that God, he doesn't just leave us in the dirt. He picks us up, he cleans us off, and he teaches us a new way. We become a whole new person. Anyone feel like, okay, I'll just say this. I did not have the best example of healthy discipline growing up. I don't know if anyone else was there. If your parents are here, do not raise your hand. I don't want you to experience that unhealthy discipline. Um, but the, therefore, like the idea of conviction and correction is often a touchy subject in our lives because it's partnered or associated with these ideas of outraged parents, insulting words, misuse or abuse of power and authority. But the scriptures really do explain correction in a completely different way. In fact, the writers of the Bible long for and desire the correction, the discipline of God. It's a very good thing in the scriptures. And so I just want to read a couple of us, a couple of them over us, just to help them kind of form our foundation for correction. Job 5 says this. He says, blessed is the one whom God corrects. So do not despise the blessing of the, or the discipline of the Almighty. It's a blessing. Proverbs 3 says the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, as a father, the son he delights in. There's this reality like, I truly want what's best for you, daughter, son. Proverbs 15, uh, he says, those who disregard discipline despise themselves. But the one who heeds correction gains understanding. Like it is, we, we are not even loving ourselves if we just choose to say, nope, the way I'm doing it is the way I'm doing it. That's, that's what you get. But then this last one, and I love it because I think it really embodies the heart of holiness, of leading us into a deeper journey. He says, whoever heeds discipline shows the way to life. But the one who ignores correction leads others astray. Again, like the writers of the Bible show us that correction, it's not just about your personal morality. It's not just about being a self-righteous person. It's about God's mission, that you are called to show the way of life, to lead others along the way with it. It's not just so you can be a good person. It's so that the earth can look a lot more like his kingdom. And he can do it with you as his partner. But we have to let him convict us. We have to let him correct the areas of our life that are just off vertical. We're just not seen, but we've become used to. Um, how much time do I have? Okay, I'm gonna just, one more scripture, one more story, and then we're done. Is that okay? Okay. Um, Peter, my dude. <clears throat> he writes to the church. 
longing for the church to be a holy people, a priesthood of believers, a, people, a church who just deeply desires holiness. And he says to them, this is in the context of mission, he says, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a people of his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then he goes on to talk just about the life of mission and the witness, how our witness itself becomes mission. So friends, tonight, would we strip off our fig leaves that we may become a people who proclaim the praises of the one who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light? Would we allow him to convict the areas of our lives and correct us towards a better, more holy journey with him. I have one final story, and um, I tell this story at nauseum because I love it. And it's, it's uh, anyone like the Chronicles of Narnia? Oh yeah. And uh, The Voyage of Dawn Treader is the third in the series, well, at least in the movies. And uh, there's this moment where Eustace, he's kind of a butthead, honestly. Uh, he said, you know, C.S. Lewis literally says, out of the greed and dragonish thoughts of his heart, he literally becomes a dragon. This is, this is primo fiction for you. But it's C.S. Lewis's kind of like depiction of the fig leaves. But Eustace can only take it for so long. After a while, he, he just wants to be a bully again. And he wants to hang and chill with his boys again. And he wants to go back and do his old life better this time. And so he sits there and he's just trying to claw these dragon scales off of him. And he's just, some are coming off, but not many. And then Aslan, the lion, comes and speaks to him. He says, Eustace, you will have to let me undress you. And as Eustace surrender to the moment, he lays on the ground giving himself completely to the claws of Aslan. And he says this, he says, the very first tear he made was so deep, I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it was worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. Well, he peeled that beastly stuff right off. Just as I had done three other times, only those times it hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, even only ever thicker, so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than any the other had been. And there I was, soft and peeled as a switch. And then he's thrown into the water and he becomes a boy again. Genesis, would you let him do it? And surrender, would you let him tear his claws into your body? It will hurt. It will hurt bad. In fact, your old ways, your very old self will die because of it. But the new you true you will be left standing stronger 
holier, more beautiful, ready to be God's partner in his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But you can't claw your ways through your own dragon scales. He will have to take them off. And it's a completely surrendered, a painful journey, but it is the better way. It's the better way. Next week, Chris is going to lead us into the conversation of confession. And so I'm not necessarily going to take that right now. I think it would be a fitting moment for it. But I just want to give us a practice for this week. Just to allow him to bring those things to the surface. To convict us. To correct us. To allow us to even become aware of them. Maybe a lot of them are what we think is true vertical, but it's just 10 degrees off. And so this is very simple. I would just love this week and your time with the Lord, five, ten minutes as you're just kind of getting going. You can put this psalm up. I would love us to pray Psalm 139. These are the last two verses, 23 and 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thought. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He doesn't leave you in the conviction. He leads you along in the way everlasting. And so would you just take some time this week just to simply sit under this verse, allow yourself to meditate on it, allow him to search your heart and know you and and point out any offensive ways in you. All right? You down for it? Sweet.